Welcome to the Tech Enthusiast Hour podcast, where several hosts talk about the week's technology news. The show notes for this episode are tehpodcast.com slash teh20. That's a 20. We've got three hosts this week. I'm Leo Notenboom, the Leo in askleo.com. Gary? I'm Gary Rosenzweig. I'm the host and producer at macamos.com. It's got uh, daily Mac tutorials, and I also make apps, uh, mostly game apps for the iPhone and iPad. Uh, you can find those at clevermedia.com. I'm Kevin Savitz, and I do interesting things with printables and faxing online. All right. And you also did some interesting stuff this week, Kevin. I did. But, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I had a couple of little interesting things today. First of all, we uh, switched from DirecTV to YouTube. I think I, I would say that we, we cut the cord, but technically DirecTV is satellite TV, so there was no cord before. <laughs> but uh, we uh, decided to, to switch to a YouTube TV, which is a new Wish service that costs $40 a month for a bunch of channels. And basically, we're not a family that watches a lot of TV. A um, little bit of, uh, uh, you know, a little bit of Big Bang Theory and a little bit of, you know, basketball now and again and things like that. And uh, I discovered YouTube TV and, and did some research and it turned out they had everything that we wanted. They don't have a ton of channels, but it was happened to, uh, overlap very nicely with what we watch. So uh, I signed up for the YouTube TV, and uh, which we can watch on our, you know, not stuck watching it on a laptop, although you can. Uh, it is a live television service uh, that you can use on your Apple TV or your Roku box or whatever. We have Roku boxes, so that's, that's what I used. And uh, it's, like I said, it's 40 bucks a month. And we were paying, I don't know, direct tv too much too much it was you know <laughs> 120 or, or something yeah um per month and so uh tried the youtube tv for a few days and it seemed fine so i disconnected the direct tv and it got of course i was expecting the the hard sell of you know what can we do to make you stay and and uh you know what name your price and i'm just like oh man guys i've already disconnected the boxes from three TV sets. I, you'd have to pay me at this point. Anyway, so I uh, had it for actually a couple of weeks now and uh, been pretty happy with it. I think it's, it's going to save uh, some money and, and just why not? So it's interesting. I see it in our future. We, we watch too much TV is the problem here. Um, I've got direct TV and, you know, we've got it with, you know, HBO and Showtime and all that, you know, all that stuff. So the, um, um, the problem, every time I look at, at cutting the cord, and yes, even though it's satellite, I think all of the measures of cord cutting include uh, subscription services like, uh, like DirecTV mm -hmm. as being equivalent to cable. The, um, the, there are a couple of shows that are just really, really hard to get uh, in a streaming alternative, one of which um, actually finished last night, Walking Dead. Yeah. Um, AMC doesn't uh, doesn't seem to show up on a lot of um, uh, streaming services that I'm aware of anyway. And uh, there's a several shows that we end up watching off of AMC. I did get um, uh, CBS um, All Access, I think it's called, or whatever it was that allowed me to watch Discovery. Mm -hmm. And I was actually very impressed with the service. Um, it is... 
Um, it actually, sometimes I choose to watch CBS programs on it because I don't have to fast forward through commercials. Um, we paid for the commercial free version and that just makes life easier. But, um, so I think that, uh, yeah, the, uh, um, the, the signs are there. I think that I can, I can understand why people are, uh, are cutting the cable cord, uh, and it, how it can work for a lot of people, especially if you don't watch a lot of TV. Yeah. But uh, I'm embarrassed to say that we watch, uh, we watch too much. <laughs> yeah, we watch too much here too. Uh, and we, and we, you know, I do both. So I've got all these services like Netflix and Hulu oh, yeah. and Amazon. I've got that too. That was, that was without saying. Yeah. Was, yeah. <laughs> and, and then in addition to that, I'm paying DirecTV uh, a ton of money. Right. Um, you know, one reason, of course, is Major League Baseball <laughs> because mm-hmm. they – uh, it's pretty much the only way to get your team, your local team, um, is if you have to either be cable or direct TV. Uh, hopefully that changes at some point. Um, but, uh, but I have noticed that, you know, Netflix is really trying hard to become oh, yeah. a, a more put together service with like shows launching regularly with, you know, pre-announcements that the show is coming on the state and uh, movies basically coming out every weekend, you know, made for Netflix movies mm-hmm. um, with big name actors and stuff. And so it's getting to the point where I could see if I was, you know, cutting the cord and I just decided just to go with Netflix, that there would be stuff to watch all the time. It's like this show is starting. We're still finishing this show. And then they have a new movie out this week and maybe a comedy special with so-and-so. And there's like always something to watch. So they're really trying and, you know, Hulu and, and uh, Amazon prime, of course, are, are going to be following. And then Apple, of course, next year as a huge lineup, it's like a tidal wave of content that will just hit next year uh, with all these shows with really big names. Um, what I thought was interesting was um, watching, I forget what we were watching on direct TV the other night. And uh, as we were fast forwarding through it, uh, almost every commercial break was a commercial for Santa Clarita diet on yes. Netflix. So, yeah. That's which a fun is, show. It is a fun that, show. That, that it's one of the ones we just, yeah. we just finished season two. Um, and, uh, but it's one of those things where, yeah, Netflix is throwing together some really, really good shows, especially if you're into the, uh, the Marvel uh, cinematic universe, the Marvel uh, stuff. Right. Yeah. yeah uh, Jessica, Jessica Jones. Uh, we just, we haven't watched season two yet, but it's available. Um, there's a bunch of really good shows there. Anyway, I was going to ask both of you guys, since you're both uh, direct TV customers and probably you know, paying a not insubstantial yeah. amount. Yeah. My experience with their customer service has always been really, really good. And I mm-hmm. sometimes attribute that to being that you know, I'm probably paying on the higher end of their, of their scale. I think it's good across the board. Um, and I was particularly impressed with, with um, the, the shutdown, canceling my my. Uh, my account procedure. Of course, you know, I got redirected to a customer uh, retention person and, and that was fine. I kind of expected that. Uh, but when they said, you know, we need our, our devices back, I'm like, sure. She's just like, unplug them, uh, put them in a paper bag or whatever, take them to any UPS store or FedEx store and hand them in and they will package them up and box them up and ship them to us. Wow. Oh, it's funny, I had a failure on, on one of my DVRs uh, a few months ago, and it was one that we'd had for a while. I suspect the hard disk was going bad, and one day it just sort of gave up the ghost. And of course, in an, you know, in an ideal world, I would open the box and, and replace the hard drive myself, but of course, it voids the warranty, or God only knows what else. But um, 
so I called them up and I said, such and such is the case. And they, you know, what are, what are the symptoms? And have you tried this? And have you tried that? And A, they did not make me do things that I had already done, mm-hmm. which I, I always appreciate. Right. And second, they said, okay, yep, yep, you're covered. I will send you a new one. And you know, that old one, just recycle it. So that was even easier than having to ship it back. It was like, okay, great. I get to tear it apart and see what's inside. <laughs> but you voided the warranty. <laughs> the, uh, I have to say that I've been with DirecTV for, oh boy. I, I know every time I call them for whatever reason, the, the person on the other phone almost gasps when they see like right. when I, I started with, it was like really back in the early, early days in the nineties at some point. And, uh, I found their tech, their customer support to be great until AT and T took them over. Really, um, and like the main problem I've had with them, they, they have an app, you know, and, and this is kind of related to everything we talk about. They they have an app, a Directv app, that when it started out it was pr- pretty good, and it allowed you to do things like I can view the guide on my iPhone when I'm out and actually set my DVR to tape something. Yes, which is great. I use that all the time, and then yep. also you could watch on my my iPad and my iPhone, you could watch first when it was just in the house, but then you could watch now you know, out of the house and they have commercials that, that talk about that. Um, and that really worked well when they first introduced it. And at some point after AT&T took over, um, they, uh, you know, as I mentioned, the one thing that really ties me to DirecTV is watching my local Major League Baseball team. And that station is listed there in the app and I could you know what I used to be able to watch that station on my iPad. There's no reason not to. The um the reason I do that a lot, a lot more than anything else I use the app for is because I don't need to focus 100% of my attention on baseball. So I could have the iPad playing the baseball game while I'm working. I can have uh I could be sitting with my family do, doing something with them and then have the iPad off to the side, volume off and doing the baseball game, you know, without a TV or Sometimes we're watching a movie or something. And I have the baseball on, you know, a side table as a second screen for me. Well, that stopped working uh, last year and gave, giving really bad error messages on the iPad. Um, and so I called support about it and they said, uh, you know, first they tried to tell me, oh, because you don't have the rights to, you know, and I was like, no, I do because it's my local market and I can watch it on my TVs. And they're like, oh, okay. And then they walked me through all this stuff and they did make me redo steps that I had done before. Like, you know, you're saying, Leo, I hate that. You know, it's like, oh, I already restarted. I already did all this. And it's like, all right, I'll do them again. Um, never able to get to work. And then they told me, okay, we will look into this. We'll have somebody call you back in 24 hours. I was like, great. Nobody ever called me back. So about a month later, I called again, talked to them again. And they said, we'll have somebody call you back in 24 hours. And I was like, okay. And it didn't happen. <laughs> Third time, the guy actually said that. You know, we went through just so many things, and he said that. And I said, no, you won't. <laughs> no, 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 really. Actually, I, I personally will call you back within 24 hours. He was like, no, you won't. I was like, he's like, no, what, what? He was like very confused by that. I was like, why would you say that? It's like, I'm telling you, you're not going to. Um, so... <laughs> You're a dirty liar, just like the last two people. And, and sure enough, nobody ever did. Um, <laughs> you offended him, so. I never never got that figured out. It still doesn't work on the DirecTV app. Um, it's clearly something going wrong in their system where they're, they're like, oh, this is Major League Baseball. We need to lock this down, but I'm supposed to be able to get it. 
what what stopped me from caring was that the the station is actually ATT Sportsnet. The irony, because it's AT and T, which owns Directv, mm-hmm. but AT and T Sportsnet came out with their own app, oh. and that works fantastic better than the Directv app. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, so it's, it's uh, really nice. So I don't have to worry about that anymore. And I'm happy because I am paying for, you know, the reason I can get it through that app is because I can verify that I'm a subscriber through DirecTV. Oh, right. right and right. so I can, so I am actually accessing it like I should be. But yeah, yeah the, the DirecTV customer support was great until I had that issue, which never got, never got resolved. One thing that does frustrate me about DirecTV, and this has nothing to do with their technology, it's more their marketing decisions, is that there is no direct TV app for things like Roku or right. um, Amazon Fire or whatever. But there right. is something called Direct TV now, I think it's called. Yeah. Which is basically everything I'm already paying for as a Direct TV customer, except in order to use that app, I have to pay for it again. Hmm. Right. And the idea is that eventually, I mean, they're done putting satellites up. I think Dish and Direct TV, is my opinion, is they're that their satellites that are up there now, that's it. When those satellites are dead, right they're it's all going to be over the internet. They know that's the future. Um, so both of those sat- competing satellite services have their online versions right. and they know it'll be, but, but it seems like it would make a lot of sense. It would certainly make a lot of their existing customers happier and more likely yeah. to stick with them through a transition. If that was already included or there was some, you know, Hey, you're a DirecTV customer. You're at this level. That means you get the DirecTV Now app. That would be nice. That's kind of what HBO does. HBO has got that great, in addition to HBO Now, HBO I think, Go. you can HBO pay for. Go. Yeah. yeah, HBO Go is, and, and you can, I mean, I'm paying for HBO, and right. I can go to the HBO Go app. I can watch any movie that they're broadcasting the entire month. I can watch their entire library of self-made you know, TV shows. And anything else that they're playing this month, I can watch on demand. I you log in using your DirecTV account? Yep. Yeah. Ah, awesome. And it's, I, mean, I have to try that yeah. one. Yeah, no, it's great. And I always, you know, say it's like, you know, whenever, before we rent a movie, a lot of times I say, let me just, let's just check to see if it's on HBO this month. Because if it is, right. we're already paying to be able to watch it. Yeah. 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 Gary, you mentioned your your problem, but that is tying you to DirecTV with watching the the bases ball. Um, <laughs> my wife likes to watch the the uh, the baskets ball, yeah, and uh, specifically the Portland Trailblazers, which is our our local team. And we had the opposite problem where DirecTV only showed very few of of the games on channels that we could see. Yeah, some because the. the Sometimes it'd be on ESPN and sometimes it'd be on TNT and oftentimes it would be on these weird channels with like eight letters that I don't even know what they, they were. Uh, most of the time we, we couldn't see them. Um, and then it would be sometimes literally the schedule would say it was on one channel. And then by the time it was aired, it, something had changed and it was on a different channel that we didn't get. And with, so that was frustrating and we didn't get to watch many of the games. One year we even signed up for the, the, the big expensive basketball package uh, so you could see all the games, which was great, except it wouldn't show you local games because of blackout. Right. Yeah, that's stuff. the way Major League Baseball works too. Yeah. So, uh, however, with YouTube TV, it gets all the, the weird channels that show the basketball. And so we can we can see them. We can see way more games than we could before, and we're paying like a third of the price or something. So 
Hmm. I don't know. I don't understand how sports balls work. So Yeah, I mean, I think the idea with Major League Baseball is, and I'm sure it's the same with all the sports, is they have these contracts where, you know, uh, cable, the local cable company and DirecTV2 uh, and just network too, actually, they pay lots of money. And part of that licensing deal is they're only available through them. Yeah. You know, there's no other way people can get them. Um, so they pay them up front, you know, like those three companies pay tons of money up front for that right. And then Major League Baseball is able to say, well, can we do, can we at least broadcast, you know, let's have a service where everybody can watch the other games. And they're like, sure, we don't care about that. We just want this. So the funny thing is, is that if I wanted to follow another team, you know, not my local team that I could actually walk to the ballpark to see when they're home, um, I could just pay whatever it is per year and stream it, you know, on all my devices. But if I want to follow my team, the one that's right here, I can't do that. I have to pay monthly to a service to do it. I wonder if, if what you just mentioned, though, being able to walk to it is part of the problem. I know that here uh, for many years, uh, we would only see the televised football game if it was a sellout. If it was not a sellout, in other words, if there were yeah. still tickets available at game time, then it would be blacked out. Yeah, that, that's all. They used to do that in baseball a long time ago, but they standardize things. You just can't, you know, it goes through the system no matter what. And what's even stranger is Major League Baseball divided the United States and Canada completely up into uh, where, who everybody's home team is. No matter where you are, if you live in the middle of Montana, all right. There's some in your area. There's some designation of this is your home team, and if you get cable there, that's the team that you would get on cable. And if you tried to get their package, you would get everybody but that local team. And sometimes it doesn't make much sense. There's you know, it's like why are the Yankees the you know team in the middle of nowhere here? Um, but that's just the way the Yankees are all American. Baseball, baseball, cover team. everybody or something. Yeah. Else. The okay. map. If you ever want to see something interesting, Google that for that map, the the Major League Baseball home team map, and you can see some very odd things. And some some of it makes sense. There's some 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 there's history, like a minor league team that's in the area, or some connection to some you know odd part of some state that's connected to you know the Atlanta Braves or the Texas, you know, the uh, Houston Astros or someone, but uh, other times it does make any sense at all. Anyway. I think we beat direct TV to death. Yeah. Good and bad for them. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I realized the podcast is like half over, but I had one other thing. <laughs> <laughs> not quite. Not, not even a third yet. Uh, I had an interesting tech thing. I, I accidentally found and bought a plagiarized book on Amazon. And so uh, I, I have, you know, I'm interested in old Atari computers and I have an Atari podcast and uh, every once in a while I go to Amazon and I check for, uh, see if there's any new books out that, that mention my uh, beloved Atari computer. And uh, I found one um, and it was called uh, How Atari 8-Bit Computers Defined a Generation by Steve S. Thomas. So, Okay. I had never heard of this Steve S. Thomas guy, and I tend to know everyone in the Atari community, but fine. And the book titles like seem kind of familiar to me, but I definitely didn't recognize the cover. So you know, I spent the twelve or thirteen dollars, whatever it was, and a couple of days later, I got the book. And I get the book and uh, start paging through it. It's like this. This is super familiar, and I realized that the text of the book 
is exactly the same as another book that came out last year called Breakout, How Atari 8-Bit Computers Defined a Generation. And except for the cover and the author name, uh, it was identical. Uh, the layout was different, but the the text was the same. Even the, the bio of, of the author on the back about how he was a, <laughs> an editor at extremetech.com, it was exactly the same, except for the author name had been changed from the real author of Jamie Landino to the Steve S. Thomas guy. So I, I kind of know Jamie on Twitter, uh, the, the author of the, the copied book, and I sent him pictures of the book, and I was just like, what's going on here? And he, this is the first he had heard of it. And so it that started a whole uh, series of things. He took it up the chain to his publisher, and they went to their lawyers, and they went to Amazon. And uh, so, but it turns out, for some reason, uh, this this quote, quote, Steve S. Thomas person got the text to his book and several others uh, and then created copies of these books on Amazon and also available on, on a couple of other sites like in Germany and uh, just selling fully plagiarized copies with just like a word in the title changed. And other than that, just the same. Wow. Yeah, and I'll bet, I'll bet it's uh, they, it's a probably an organization Mm-hmm. And that's just one out of hundreds of author names yeah. that they use. I wouldn't um, doubt that at all. Right. I'm yeah. sure it's just the tip of the iceberg and that kind of stuff. Cause once you put an organization behind it, probably overseas, mm-hmm. um, it's a way to generate revenue. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, and there's so I can, I can think of several ways they can generate revenue. One is just selling books. Like you didn't, that you didn't write. Okay. There's some small incremental revenue, or maybe it's part of something bigger, like, a money laundering scheme or, or who knows, which Um, Amazon has been used to do as well. I mean, that's, that's also not really news. I think we've talked about that before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Scary. I think a lot of it. Yeah. It's probably, this is probably more of the, just trying to make money selling these books. And I I bet you they've hacked into um, some publisher databases or editorial review databases or Mm -hmm. somewhere where they really access to PDF, files of all of these books, maybe even print houses, you know, where they, the printers that actually take the PDFs and produce the books somewhere mm-hmm. they hacked in and got their hands on who knows thousands of PDFs. And just to make it real easy for them to uh, go and produce these books, stick them up on Amazon. And the, the th- thing is, is, you know, that this one author name they use, I'm sure hopefully Amazon will do this right thing and take all those books down, but there might be another author name that, who knows? You know, nobody is noticing that there are all these plagiarized books. Well, like you said, there, there's probably hundreds of author names, and yeah. they're probably more than they're probably in a position to play whack-a-mole for as long as you like. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. For every for every for every author for every fake author that you you end up reporting and getting taken down, they've probably created two or three more. So huh. yeah, it's 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 annoying. It's an, especially I I feel for that author having yeah. had my books. Not not done in this way, but the ebooks themselves taken mm-hmm. and sold at, you know, illegitimate uh, ebook websites. Right. You know, it's like that's my work, and they're selling it and keeping the money. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, just, I think anything you produce electronically. I know that I used to get notifications whenever one of my ebooks would show up on a pirate site, and I could, you know, you could spend all day fighting that. You really yeah. could. And there's just no no point to it. So I do the best I can about making sure that the books are self-referential enough that um, 
they, uh, they if if you're going to steal it, then at least you'll be marketing for me. So, yeah, good idea. Uh, but that's about it. So, Kevin, did did you do you know if they actually did take down the uh, the pirated book? This I do know that Amazon has taken the the pirated book down. Um, if you click the link now, uh, you get. I didn't. I did not know this that Amazon's four hundred four pages uh, feature pictures of dogs. That belong to the Amazon employees. The dogs so, of Amazon. What? Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So there was an article, to, I mean, not to go too far off topic, but there was an article in today's, I think it was Seattle Times, about you know how wonderful a place to work Amazon is. And one of the reasons is because you can and are encouraged to bring your dogs to work. Hmm. And supposedly there are something like 6,000 dogs at Amazon on any given day. Hmm. which I find just incredible. Wow. All right. Wow. This is great. You guys are going to have to do the rest of the podcast yourself. I'm looking. I'm just going to look at dogs. I know. Just like, I just, I reload the, oh, some of them are so cute. It's Thomas and he's all big and fluffy and this is so yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. yes, the book has been taken down. Uh, I don't know if, if Steve S. Thomas's other books have been taken down, but uh, you know, yeah, it's just, you know, and the, the, the author, uh, Jamie Landino wrote, a, a blog post on extreme tech or something kind of telling his version of the story. And you know, it's all these comments from people going like, you know, you should sue them. And, and it's like these people are, you know, the Steve Thomas guys almost certainly offshore. There's nothing you can do, you know, except for fix, just try to fix the little problem that affects yeah. you directly. And other than that, you know, there's just nothing you can do. It's just part yeah. of part of the world of digital, I guess. Anyway, so that was my exciting week. How about yeah, you? Yeah, that's an awesome week. You filled up a good chunk of the podcast with Kevin's week. Kevin's week. <laughs> it's Kevin's week podcast. Um, so I just did a couple things. It's interesting. I mentioned, I think, a couple of podcasts ago that I have no IoT things and no Internet of Things things, um, and that I used Alexa primarily as a glorified egg timer. Um, as it turns out, uh, I now have two uh, Internet of Things uh, light controllers, basically just switches, on-off switches, uh, for lights in my bedroom. And I moved my Echo Dot into the bedroom. So, yes, Alexa is listening to everything that goes on in the bedroom, presumably. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Um, but it is the case where it, the problem we were running into is that the old technology I had there to turn the lights on and off was starting to fail. It was another one of these remote control technologies, about 10 years old, actually. Um, and it started to fail and I couldn't get it to work. And I just said, you know, it's time to, time to bring things ahead a, a, another decade. So I, uh, I ordered these just as a test off of Amazon and I'm actually fairly impressed. I, uh, I now have, uh, lights that, um, I can either control from my Android phone, which is not particularly exciting to my wife, but, um, you know, in the middle of the night, uh, you just tell Alexa, turn on the bedroom lights, and it happens. And I think this might end up being the foot in the door to doing a few more things with uh, uh, Alexa and remote control home stuff. It's just, uh, it's pretty cool. So what uh, system did you get? Did you get the, the Hue or what What'd you go with? No, these were some actually relatively cheap ones. I bought them. They had relative, I've, I don't remember the name. But I'll I'll come up with a link uh, for the show notes. The uh, they were relatively inexpensive. They came in a two pack, and one of the reasons that I bought this specific one is besides being ranked fairly well, they didn't cover the other uh, socket hole. A lot of these plug-in um, uh, Wi-Fi enabled uh, switches, they end up covering up both socket holes, even if you only want to use one. 
and for the way we've got things set up. We've got the classic case in the bedroom where the lower socket is always on, but the upper socket is switched. And mm-hmm. I needed this to be, I needed both to be available. So um, I ended up going down that road. And uh, like I said, so far, I mean, I've had them for like a day, day and a half. And uh, it, it's worked. It's, it's actually responded well to my voice and my wife's voice from across the room. So there's hope. And it is actually kind of cool. You know, both my wife and I wear glasses. And in the middle of the night, it's kind of hard to see the clock. So now it's kind of easier just to say, Alexa, what time is it? And mm. she very politely tells you. Nice. Oh, yeah. So what are you up to, Gary? Yeah. Well, I, uh, so talking about last week, my, my cribbage game, I, I got it to the testing stage and I actually started uh, test flight testing. Test flight is the Apple system for testing apps because, you know, they, they're pretty locked down in terms of installing apps and things on iPhones and iPads and all. So they have a system where I can submit to submitting for, uh, you know, release on the app store. I could submit for testing and then I could, you know, put email addresses of people that want to test into the system and then they get a little notification and they, you know, can install just on their devices, this app um, for 90 days and there's like a built-in feedback thing. So actually, uh, I'm at that stage now where there's a few people out there in the wild that have this cribbage app. Um, if you would like to be a beta tester, <laughs> well, I'll be sure to make sure uh, that there's a link in the in the show notes where you can sign up for that. And basically, you just uh, just play cribbage. It's a it's like a single player cribbage game. You're playing it at the computer, and uh, even if you don't play cribbage or haven't before, it it'll teach you how to play. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a fun, fun little card game that takes, uh, you know, only a few minutes to actually play around. So a good little distraction to have on your, your iPhone. So that's what I've been up to just getting that game to the testing stage. And, and now I think slow down a lot because I wait for feedback and maybe I just do one or two things and then I submit again. Mm-hmm. Hopefully by this time next week, I'll have submitted it to the store and I'll be waiting for it to be in the store. I think I mentioned last week that I broke down and got myself a uh, an Android cribbage app just to learn learn the game. Oh yeah, I'm starting to get it. It's starting to make some sense. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a fun game. A little geeky, I think, because of the the how uh, the numbers play and right uh, things like that. So I think it uh, I think it makes sense that it's kind of seen a lot of attention recently as a few cribbage apps have appeared across platforms. So, yeah. So we were just talking about Amazon and plagiarism and that kind of stuff. You had a different Amazon related. Oh yeah, issue? that's right. So, um, so this is interesting. This is, I didn't, don't think this affected uh, the three of us, but it affected some of our friends. Um, a few people started getting notifications uh, if they're using a site called create space. So what create space is, is uh, you could publish your own books on Amazon pretty easily. I've done it. We, well, we've all done it. Um, you just, you could sign up, you do it all online, you produce a PDF from whatever word processor, word processor using or an EPUB format, which is even simpler than a PDF. And you could create an account on Amazon and you could upload it and publish your book. Or someone else's book. It or someone out. else's book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's, yeah um, and to be clear, when we're talking about publishing a book here, yeah. we're talking about publishing a physical book. A piece well, no. Of- so, so, so Amazon, you could do it as an ebook, a Kindle okay. book and all that pretty easily. You don't need a big publisher anymore. But Amazon also has a site called CreateSpace, which 
is the physical part of that. So in addition to doing a digital ebook, you can uh, go through CreateSpace and you have to up- upload a PDF. It's all like print laid out and everything. And what will happen is if you publish your book through CreateSpace, then somebody can actually order it at Amazon um, and it will be printed on demand. So the book doesn't exist, uh, you know, physically exists that you're buying and you order it and a book printer at CreateSpace will print the book once you've ordered it and then it gets shipped to you. Um, so this is great because you can, you know, back before things like CreateSpace, I've, I actually had to do this. Uh, you would, if you wanted to publish your own print book, you would actually have to order like 5,000 copies of it or something and fill your garage with them or find some warehouse solution and then ship them out. Um, and if you didn't sell very many of those, you ended up with a lot of, of, of books um, left over. So with CreateSpace, it just, somebody orders one, they print one and it, and it ships. So the reason I'm bringing this up is because um, a few authors started getting notifications that their payment information had been updated. And they'd be like, well, I didn't change my payment information. And they went in and found out that their account was still there and fine. Password was the same. All sorts of other information and book stuff was the same. But their payment information, where the money goes when somebody buys a book, had changed to some unknown, you know, unknown to them bank account. Um, and uh, strangely, a always a very Russian-sounding name. And... Different authors saw different names, but they were all always extremely like the type of Russian names you would see in movies if they needed to like have a character that was supposed Vladimir to be. and yeah, yes. And things like in that. other words, it may not even be connected at all to Russia, but somebody is trying to make it look like it is. Um, but it's strange because people aren't seeing things where it's like, how did they get to my account and why didn't they change anything else? Uh, so it's almost like. Oh, perhaps something on the back end's been hacked or whatever. I checked my CreateSpace account and maybe because I don't sell very many books, the, uh, the payment information was still fine. Um, but others have uh, checked and found that this happens. And if they don't notice the payment, which I think went out for last month, they went out yesterday, um, would actually be sent to that bank account. So somewhere, somebody who ran this scam uh, and figured out this hack uh, got a whole bunch of money sent to all these different bank accounts. Uh, that was payment for crate space. But so this was worse than actually plagiarizing somebody's book. This is actually going in and just taking the money directly from the person that yeah cut out the middleman. Yeah, that. yeah. Why, why bother to plagiarize <laughs> when you could just take the money right out right out of somebody's hands? What so bothers do, me. What bothers me about this yeah. is that. There were, in fact, several of our, our mutual friends who who had this happen to them. And I'm just shocked that there hasn't been anything, any acknowledgement from CreateSpace, any yeah. kind of, even to the people that are reporting the issue, right? It's it's like CreateSpace is kind of going, you know, la, 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 nothing to see here. Where, in fact, this seems like a symptom of what could potentially be a much larger problem. Yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, I'm. I'm curious to see whether or not this is just the beginning of something. I'm not even seeing news stories about this anywhere. Um, so yeah, this has got to be something where I, I don't know if it happened. If you know, if it happened to a few people we know, I mean, it's got to be hundreds or thousands of people. So if you have a CreateSpace account, you're selling books on CreateSpace. Um, 
you may want to just log in and just check your uh, payment information. And, and change your password. Change your password yeah, too. Sure. Yeah, I, I definitely, I, I was always mentioning to, uh, to uh, some of you guys earlier that uh, when I went to log into my CreateSpace account, I noticed that uh, LastPass, my password manager, was only plopping in about eight characters worth of passwords. So I knew that I had not, uh, I had not yet updated that password to be something more secure. So it's a great opportunity to uh, to make sure you're using a new secure password that you're not using anywhere else, and you know the usual litany of things you're supposed to do with passwords. In my case, it's now a twenty character random, but uh, yeah. but yeah, this is something else you definitely want to do is change your password while you're there after you've checked your uh, your payment information. And you think this could actually qualify as our breach of the week, but we actually have another one. Breach of the week. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I was almost ready to say that we weren't going to have one this week. Um, but then while <laughs> I rabbit flew in at the last minute, <laughs> they did. They did. It, it literally it happened this morning. So as you know, we record this on Monday night. So Monday morning, um, they essentially got hacked. They have not yet stated, uh, given any details. I just refreshed one of the stories on the, on the issue. Um, and basically, they took down their app and their website. So for those of you that don't know, TaskRabbit is basically, um, I think of it as online dating for services. And by that, I mean, I need to like have somebody help me carry some furniture from one room to another. You go on to TaskRabbit and you look for people that are willing to do that. On the other hand, if you're someone who you know is, has a certain certain set of skills, um, <laughs> like like lifting heavy objects, then maybe you make yourself available for that kind of a thing, or you uh, you list yourself as as one of the resources. So it's basically, you know, literally tasks, um, in person kind of tasks that um, you know they try and match people who need things done with people who are willing to do them. And like I said, the entire the, the site is apparently still down. The website was hacked. The app is taken down. They have not said what or why. Um, I think the only thing that actually has said, uh, that TaskRabbit has said is, quote, TaskRabbit is currently investigating a cybersecurity incident. So translated, I, I almost guarantee you cybersecurity incident is almost always, oh, dear, we've been hacked. And uh, we want to put it in politically correct terms. So it'll be interesting to see uh, exactly what the issue turns out to be. Uh, like I said, this is almost breaking news uh, for our, uh, our uh, breach of the week. But it is an example of, uh, yep, here's another one. Every week it seems like uh, there's something going on. Yeah. Either of you guys use TaskRabbit? I've never used it, no. Uh, it might have signed up a long time. In fact, I know I signed up some time ago just to look around. I don't think I actually used it for anything. Yeah, we used it a few years ago. The 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 structure that they had at that time was a little bit more flexible. If I remember right, they changed it so that you could only offer certain types of services. It used to be that you would say, you know, this is what I want done out of you know whatever you could dream up. And uh, people would then respond to that. But now at one point they changed it to, here's the list of things you're, you can ask for. Um, and that kind of restricted its usability to us quite a bit. But it was kind of handy to have around and, and another resource. Um, but uh, so I will suggest that if any of our listeners have a TaskRabbit account, be proactive, 
Um, if you're using that same password somewhere else, uh, change it somewhere else in all those other places that you're using it. Uh, once again, don't use the same password everywhere. And uh, when TaskRabbit comes back up, just to be on the safe side, change your password there too. Okay. So uh, Kevin stumbled into one that I thought was kind of interesting. It's not a hack yet, but it's like a proof of concept. Mm. Yeah. Uh, let's see. The story is that certain cities have have sirens uh, put around the city to warn you, say, of a tsunami or uh, emergency alert, alert sirens. And uh, and they are, these sirens are, of course, offered by a company that creates these things and, and I'm sure markets them to, to cities. And uh, it has been learned by a security researcher that uh, a, a person with a very inexpensive ham radio can hijack those emergency alert siren systems and uh, make them make the sirens go off at any time for any reason, or just play any arbitrary sound that they want to play. <laughs> I thought that was the interesting part to me. I mean, it's one thing to frighten everybody in the neighborhood, but then to suddenly, you know, have uh, maybe a rickroll your city would be uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. So uh, apparently, uh, the these systems have no security on them, except you, as, as long if you know the right frequency, then that's good enough for, for these siren systems. So um, no password, no subaudible tones, apparently, which would, isn't really much security at all. But um, yeah, apparently, if, if you just know what frequency to use, you can rickroll you know, your, your city. <laughs> yeah. And to be clear, it's, it's also not that hard to discover what frequency to be used. I mean, mm -hmm. even with, with just a little bit of um, um, scanning technology, if you even know like a, a target frequency range, um, it's not that hard to, uh, to figure out where they're going to be or just, just start trying and seeing, you know, what frequencies in that neighborhood. And uh, Kevin mentioned that this is a ham radio. The actual, the article um, that I saw actually links to uh, one of these $35 ham radios available on Amazon. Um, to be clear, you don't have to have a ham license to break the law, right? <laughs> okay. But it helps. <laughs> it, it helps. It's the knowledge behind that ham license mm -hmm. that, that helps here. But uh, yeah, that's, uh, and it's got, it's, it actually has, um, Join the ranks of exploits with fancy names and logos. Mm. It's called. I knew, the, I knew the name was Siren Jack. Siren Jack, and they actually did a logo. And actually, I believe I should check this out before I mention it in the uh, podcast. Let me type here real quick. Oops, have to spell it right, of course. But if you go to sirenjack.com, yep. You get the logo, the research paper, the white paper, um, a video about what it is. Uh, yeah, they they went they went all in on this one. Nice. So. <laughs> I love the fact that there's these logos for the the exploits. I mean, is, isn't there like a whole community of, pe of people that just enjoy doing the logos for that? Apparently, yeah. Yeah, I'd like to see a, like a Wired article on that. That's just to me is just a really interesting. Uh, it probably went to TaskRabbit to have someone design a logo. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
Anyway, I thought it was interesting and uh, interesting. Just, just I don't know. People who are designing things need to be smarter. That's, that's my, well, that's I wonder my. how long. I wonder how old that system is. Did it say in the in the article like what it dates back to? I don't know. There was a list of cities uh, that use it, including San Francisco. And uh, uh, actually, I can't for some reason the site I'm trying to get to is not loading for me right now. But so I don't know. I don't know how old somebody acted. Uh, yeah, right. Well, you know, if that site's not loading for you, maybe you should try a different DNS server. Really? Tell me about that DNS. No, but it's on your list. Oh, damn it! Okay, I just <laughs> I was trying to give you a segue. Come on. Uh, yes, I see that, but I've been. <laughs> Talking a lot this episode. Um, so yeah, a cloud flow. Okay, so DNS is the the phone book of the internet. When you type, you know, whatever yahoo.com, uh, the their DNS system will uh, say, okay, well yahoo.com that translates to a computer at IP address, you know, uh, 8.9.10.11, and that's really what you want, and it will connect you there. And a DNS uh, server, you, you use one if you use the internet. Uh, it's a system that, that does those lookups for you. And there have been a variety of kind of alternative slash better DNS services over the years, uh, including uh, Google has one uh, at 8.8.8.8. And that's supposed to be faster and better than probably your default one. Uh, there is one that, I think we talked about like maybe the first or second episode of this podcast called quad nine, which is at 9.9.9.9. And its job is uh, to do DNS, but also to filter out uh, uh, bad actors. Um, If you try to go to a a hack site, it will try to prevent you there or if some sort of uh, uh, IOT device in your house is, it has been compromised. It will try to prevent it from, from, doing its, its bad work. So there's this new, another new alternate DNS server uh, put out by Cloudflare, and its IP address is 1.1.1.1. And I think the big uh, benefit that it is supposed to provide is that your, the DNS searches are encrypted. So if you are going to yahoo.com or Pornhub or whatever. Uh, normally, your i your even if it's an encrypted site, your ISP can tell where you're going. It knows you've gone to Yahoo or you're looking at at, at nudie pictures or whatever, and they might not know exactly what you're looking at, but you know where you're going. And the benefit of Cloudflare's one dot one dot one dot one is that even the DNS lookups are encrypted, giving you an extra measure of security and privacy. Right, and just to be clear, none of us are recommending that anybody go to such a horrible site as Yahoo. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Let's try to give the worst example that I could. We, we, have, our, we have our standards. Uh, so the other thing that um, it's also Cloudflare, you may have heard of it. It um, does two things. Um, the, the thing that it's known perhaps the most for is uh, coming to the rescue when sites are under uh, some kind of an attack, a denial of service attack. Cloudflare has a lot of technology that can be used to protect sites from those kinds of attacks and keep those sites running. They are essentially, a, uh, uh, among other things, a, a content delivery network. Basically, their job is to deliver the internet quickly. So services, when they use Cloudflare, uh, they typically end up getting delivered more quickly. 
Uh, that's one of the reasons I think that they actually make a, a reasonable case for being another um, alternative DNS service because given their infrastructure, one would assume that they should be able to deliver it faster, certainly faster than your local ISP. The downside, the, the slightly controversial part about Cloudflare is that they've gotten in uh, trouble uh, past couple of months uh, for, uh, they will, they, they are, they're, they were hosting, and I don't know if they're still hosting or not, um, some fairly extreme websites. Um, they also act as a, a, a website host. And some of them, like Nazi supporting sites and so forth. Uh, and they got into a lot of trouble for that, and they actually tried to um, defend themselves by saying, well, it's not our job to censor the Internet. Whether or not, you know, however you want to spin that would be at terms of services or they shouldn't or whatever. Um, that's one of the things that I know that some people have reacted somewhat negatively towards Cloudflare for. I'm sure they're not the only people on the planet that do it, but they happened to get the bad press for it some time ago. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting um, uh, move on their part. Like I said, I think they've got the technological chops to pull it off and make it work. I like that it's encrypted. I did not realize that. Um, I'll have to look into it some more for that. So I have a, I have a comment and a, and a question for you, Leo, about this. Mm, um, sure. First of all, I thought it was interesting that part of the what Cloudflare has to deal with is for years and years and years, people, uh, software and, and services have been using 1.1.1.1 as sort of dummy filler addresses for everything. <laughs> of course. So they are they are dealing with just huge amounts of garbage traffic right. that, that stream into that, that IP address. And so part of their job with this uh, address is to uh, receive and study that garbage traffic and find out who, who, who and why is, 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 uh, is, is hitting 1.1.1.1 all the time. That's interesting, though, because when you think about it, the fact that they are one of the experts for um, denial of service mitigation essentially what they're experiencing is their own denial of service attack and they can filter out all the traffic that isn't a DNS request because I'm sure that not everything that's coming in on that IP is. Yeah. Um, and they can, you know, b bring all that existing technology they have to bear on that problem. Right. I mean, it's just, it's just coming with a, uh, getting an IP address like that. It just comes with so much baggage. That, oh, yeah, know, it'd that, be the moral equivalent of trying to set up a business at example.com. I mean, it's just right, yeah. it's not going to happen. Yeah. 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 Um, and my question for you, Leo, is do you have a, a feeling of, of which, if any, alternative DNS to use? Should it be quad eight, quad nine, or now quad one? I do not. Um, the other one that you didn't mention that's been mentioned along for, around for years is um, OpenDNS, mm -hmm. which is now owned. Oh, gosh, who owns it? I think Cisco owns it now. They, um, the, the, the interesting thing about OpenDNS is that you can set up an account and you can run a little technology um, on, your, on one of the PCs in your home so that you can identify which IP address you are on the internet. And then you can actually configure how filtered you want your internet to be. So if you are, well, like us, right? We're consenting adults. It doesn't matter what comes through our pipe. We'll look at it all. On the other hand, if you're a parent and you've got children, you can ratchet down exactly what kinds of things are coming through the so earth. Keep them from going to yahoo.com. Exactly. You can prevent, you know, <laughs> friends don't let friends go to Yahoo. Um, the, so that's one that I, we've talked about a lot in the past. 
um, you know, it has been talked about in the industry, I should say, um, for many years because they've been around for a long time. Uh, Google's, I mean, the, the neat thing about Google and Quad9 and now this one is that they're easy to remember. Whenever you're using OpenDNS, you actually have to go to their website and look up the IP addresses and then try and make sure they get transferred into your DNS configuration properly. So, um, but the, to answer your question, no, I don't have a feel yet uh, for which one is better. And I suspect that that may even uh, vary from location to location. Sure. Cool. Well, I guess going on with our theme of security and, and such, I've uh, <laughs> got one last story for us. Um, so uh, there's a device now that cracks iPhones. Uh, basically, can get figure out your passcode on your iPhone. It's a $30,000 device, or there's a $15,000 uh, cheaper version of it, too, that's marketed towards um, law enforcement. Uh, it's called the Gray Key, Gray Key iPhone Unlocker. And it's a physical device that you, they take the iPhone and they plug it into it. And what it does is it somehow alters the system on that iPhone. And sets the iPhone up to search for its own passcode. So they actually plug it in and then they unplug it and then sit the iPhone down and it will then try to find the passcode for it. And it's so this works on the current iPhones, the current operating system, at least for now. I'm sure Apple is trying very hard to figure out what it's doing and block it as they've done with many techniques in the past. Um, but, uh, but it can break in. Now, the interesting thing about it, well, there's a bunch of interesting things about it. One is that um, the time it takes to break in really depends on the number of digits you've got in your passcode. So the old-style passcodes that many people still use are four digits, and they can break those in 13 minutes. So what it's apparently doing is it's disabling the ability of the phone to you know, just limit the amount of times you try different passcodes. There's things like... Um, you know, it, it get, takes longer. You know, there's a delay between each time you try. And also, um, you, you can set it up so that it, you know, stops you after 10 tries. Um, so this disables that. So then it could just rapidly try passcodes. So 13 minutes for four digits. The current standard is six digits. If you set up a new iPhone now, you're asked for a six-digit passcode. And it can do that in about 11 hours on average, uh, which is very doable for you know law enforcement to break a break an iphone to get uh, what they want off of it that's just overnight really but here's the thing if you go to eight digits of course it goes up by a factor of 100 so you're looking at 46 days for it to break that and if you go to 10 digits you're looking at years for it to break it so in other words it's pretty much unbreakable and people don't realize this but a lot of time uh, one thing you can do on your iphone is you can actually say i don't want a passcode i want a password and you can get the full keyboard instead of just the digits. And then you could use a password. And then, then of course, it's going to be a much, much longer uh, mm -hmm. time, years and years for it to try to break uh, even a, a decently, uh, you know, even a short, like an eight-letter eight password, um, if, it's, if, if it could even do that. It's a fascinating little device because, you know, they're, uh, of, of the way it works, uh, you know, plugging it in and kind of altering the iPhone. There's some interesting uh, implications of this because, you know, we like to think of the case of a, you know, somebody does maybe it's something like terrorist related, right? And they get somebody in custody and they want to look at their iPhone 
and they uh, they do everything properly legally, but they don't have the password and they have the passcode, and the person isn't going to give it up, or maybe the person's not alive anymore, as was the case, uh, you know, a couple of years ago. Um, and the so they try to uh, break in, but that's not the only way that this happens. A lot of times, it's uh, sometimes like somebody is deceased or unable to give their passcode, and the, the iPhone is voluntarily given to law enforcement um, to help law enforcement. Sometimes uh, it's, you know, uh, somebody can't get, doesn't remember their own password and somehow has access to one of these devices. But since it's changing the software, it's kind of interesting. Uh, it's not just opening it up. It's actually changing the software, and then you get the phone back, and then now you have to wonder, you know. Like, say if uh, you are uh, somebody that was suspected of something, they take your phone from you, they break it, and they give it back. Uh, now you have to wonder what's going on with your phone. Of course, you would probably wonder that anyway if, if anybody took your phone from you. Um, but anyway, it's interesting. Uh, it's $30,000. That's a lot of money for something that it's very likely that Apple will get their hands on one of these. So do, and, do I understand what you just said about how this works? It actually yeah. you, you connect it physically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It does something. Something. But it's uh, it's only connected physically through an existing port. You're not cracking it open. You're not doing right. anything like that. Right. Connect it via the lightning connector in the bottom of the phone. Right. And then and you disconnect it and your phone goes to work. doing. The- so basically, in the long run, all it's really doing is like uploading a little bit of software. Yeah. It's, it's maybe putting something in there. So when it boots, it's booting to this other piece of software. You know, it, they show up, one of the articles we'll link to, it shows a screen of what it looks like, you know, and searching for the passcode. Mm-hmm. And then I assume when it gets the passcode, it displays it on the screen, and then you can continue to boot the phone normally and then use the passcode to get in. I think you're overthinking it. I think it's probably just like a, a little piece of, of hot dog or sausage <laughs> that, on a servo that is programmed to try every combination of, of a password. Well, no, but that's what it is. <laughs> it, it, the, the thing is that... It's not, um, it, it's, you can't do that with an iPhone normally because it won't just let you enter in. Sure. Pass. So what it's doing is it's circumventing that. Yeah. Apple doesn't need to fix the thing where it can just put in random passcodes. It needs to fix the thing where you can circumvent the idea that you could just keep trying them at an right. extremely rapid rate. And I'm right. sure Apple will. Even if they don't get their hands on one of these, I'm sure there's a couple of really smart guys at Apple that are thinking of, okay, now we know that we know how this device works. So what would, you know... If we were going to do this, what would we do? Yeah, <laughs> if we were going to do it, how would we do it? And they're going to come up with, yeah. uh, you know, the oh, it must they must be doing it like this. And then the new version won't work and all these police departments would have bought, you know, spent 30 grand or 15 grand on a uh, piece of equipment that only works with people that don't update their phones. I didn't realize that um, the iPhone allowed you to use an actual password as your, as your, uh... yeah, I'm going to do it. Uh, th- this reminded me, I should probably show that in one of my tutorials uh, coming yeah. up here. Yeah, should I, I, I don't believe that's available on Android and I actually like that quite a bit. Cause yeah, oh. they've, they've actually shown that you can, um, detect a lot of four-digit pins um, by the dirt on the screen. Sure. Mm. Yeah, you can tell which four digits you should be focusing on and just go from there. Yeah, or even just, I mean, observing you, right? I mean, four right. digits, it's pretty, you know, that's what I would do. If I was a spy, 
you know, and I wanted to get somebody's phone, I wouldn't grab it right away. I'd just, you know, follow them around or make sure there's cameras in the right place. And it's probably pretty easy to, especially if it's a four dig six digit code. Now, if it's a little keyboard, it might be a little harder to right. do it because yeah. you can hit all sorts of uh, keys and it's hard to see under the fingers and things like that. Very cool. So what you guys got coming up this week? Anything interesting? Boy, no, not really. That's a my resounding weeks, no. Wow. My weeks are really boring. Wow. That's, to me. That's amazing. <laughs> well, I will say that I'm traveling this week. I'm going to be uh, uh, down in the LA area. I've got a, uh, a virtual relative who's graduating from the Pepperdine MBA program on Saturday. So I'm going to go down there for the graduation ceremony and you know, run into a, a number of friends, some of them mutual while I'm down there. But then I might even, you know, go see that, that, that mouse character, see if, uh, see if he's interested in, uh, you know, letting me take, you know, run on some of his rides. <laughs> oh Fun. yeah. That mouse character. That mouse character. I'll actually be virtually in uh, California um, this week. I'm speaking at the, uh, one of the uh, user group, uh, the Chico Apple's users group. And, uh, but I, you know, I'm doing that virtually. I'll be doing it through FaceTime or Skype or cool. one of those things. I do, I do, uh, that occasionally. Um, I've done it once or twice. It, it was an interesting experience. It's, it's, it's definitely not the same as being there, but it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. And actually I, I've spoken to one group where nobody was there. <laughs> we were, everybody was virtual. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> you're talking to an empty room. <laughs> so I've done, I've done everything from in-person, like, you know, the Colorado groups uh, where I've driven to and been in person. I've done where I've been on a screen and everybody's in a room. Uh, and I've done where it's all virtual and it's like a big, you know, it's like 30, 40 people, you know, all little icons and uh, I get to address everybody. So it's a, uh, yeah, it's kind of fun and it's uh it's great to uh have a live talk with uh sure sometimes yeah. Yep. Cool. All righty. Well, sounds like that's wrapping it up for this week. Yeah, sounds good. All righty. The show notes for this week are at tehpodcast.com/teh20. We're also on Twitter at the teh podcast and you can find us at Facebook at facebook.com/the teh podcast. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you again here next Tuesday. Good night, Thank everyone. Thank you guys for podcasting with me. It was fun. Hello.